Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sai. This is Funky Sai's A to Z of Manchester. Hello Simon, how are you? I'm fine, Jackie. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. What have you been up to? <laughs> well, I've been on my travels again. Oh. This, <laughs> this time down to Skyathos, which is a, an island in the Aegean Sea, not too far off the coast from Thessalonica, oh, down there nice. in Greece. Absolutely superb. One of the highlights of the uh, trip was the flight into Skyathos Airport. It's got a very, very short runway. It's about a third the length of Manchester's. It was raining, actually, the day we were going. We weren't allowed to go, but it's not safe. I came flying in there. I could see the island all lit up at dusk. Superb. It goes right through, like, a, some mountains on either side. Oh, good grief. Slams it down, breaks onto the maximum effects, uh, all the noise. I find it really exciting, that I love it. You but like landing? I prefer takeoff, but um, this is spectacular because you come in over all the boats really, really low. And you can see, you know, people uh, on the road below you, you know, looking up. Scattering, probably. Yeah. I think you've got to be, uh, well, you've got to be a captain to, to make that landing. You can't be a first officer, uh, apparently. You've got to be doing it for seven years, you know, landing down there before you can do it on your own. So It's the worst bit of a flight for me, the landing. Just as you know, you're about to hit the ground. Where they put the brakes on, my feet automatically go as if I'm braking with them. Yeah, you're bad, bad backseat driving. Oh, I hate it. I think my, it's my, awful. My dad was terrible. He was the worst. You know, he used to hold on to the da- dashboard. <laughs> the worst backseat driver ever <laughs> he was. But it was great, lovely island. Um, we went on a yacht, me and Lulu, yeah. Uh, stayed in this old hotel. There's only twenty people there. Gorgeous hotel. It was like being in uh, The Shine in the film. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they were lovely. Everybody was lovely though. It was there, and the staff couldn't do enough for you. It was great. I felt uh, a bit sorry for you know the bar owners over there. There's nobody going in them at all, and just sort of resigned to the fact that you know it's just not happening this year. Uh, terribly sad, really. But you didn't have to quarantine uh, coming back from there. There's seven islands, Greek islands, where you do have to quarantine, um, you know, your Xantes and your, your roads and uh, your party islands. These are, this is a small one, though, isn't it? You yeah, it's to... tiny. Yeah. One day we got a ferry to uh, the scene where they filmed the musical Mamma Mia. Are and you a fan of Mamma Mia? Never seen it, but I am going to watch it because, uh, well, I should really because I've been there. But you have to climb up to this tiny little chapel. You know, it's got, I don't know, 500 steps or something. And did you do that? Yeah, of course. I'd have been oh. training, haven't I? Told you. <laughs> do six, six flights up to my house, six down, yeah, that's, three times a day now. That's nothing for you, is it? No, I'm glad I did the training, if I'm honest. So, yeah, um, lovely. I could definitely go back there to Skyathos. The Mamma Mia place where they got married is Skopelos which is just, uh, you know, two or three, four miles uh, across the way. We sailed round there on the yacht, uh, the Argo 3, it was called, beautiful thing, and stopped off at a taverna on this beach, all turquoise seas. I just love it. I, I love it. I love I love it, Greece. I've been to Kos as well before. I've got some friends, Emma and Ilias, who run the Stone Roses Bar in Cardamania, Kos Island. So if you're ever down there, 
Call in. Go in and say hello. <laughs> say Simon sent you. It's in the main square. What's the food of Skiathos? Well, they do the um, moussakas, don't they? Stefado, as it called. Oh, yes. Like a shepherd's pie. Just amazing. Put another half stone on mine. But um, I did get straight back in when I got back uh, on Sunday and got back with uh, San Pedro in the rehearsal room. We're getting, warm, getting ready for our single coming out towards Christmas. Oh, it's exciting. It okay, is. well, yeah. it's, um, I don't know what week it is, but it's some week. Well. And what uh, letter are we up to? I do believe it's the letter S. <laughs> Okay, what's your first letter S? My first S is a pop artist from Manchester, a Man United fan, called Stanley Chow. Love Stanley Chow. He's very good, isn't he? He's brilliant. When I started going to the night and day bar on Oldham Street, I used to see these drawings, illustrations on the wall there, and there was one of Mark Smith, and it intrigued me. I thought, oh, who's done this? It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Turns out, of course, Lulu knew him years ago. She said, oh, come to an exhibition he's doing, you know, at the Chinese centre in the northern quarter around there it was. So we went. Brilliant. and found out a lot more about him. I was gone to another publisher with You Can Drum But You Can't Hide to root publishing, and I thought, well, we need a new cover. And I, wasn't, I didn't really fancy any of the photos that I got, so I thought, why not get Stanley, ask him if he'll do it. So um, I asked him, <laughs> Stanley, will you do the cover of my book? Um, what about if he offer you this much money? He said, well, normally when uh, Tim Burgess had his done, <laughs> I got X, X, X pounds. I said, listen, will you be insulted if I offer you X pounds? He says, no, de no, definitely not. I'll do it for you, Si. He knew about the music I'd been involved with, and he did a great job. I did say to him at the time, I think my ears are a bit big. <laughs> he started laughing. He didn't change it. But he did make the colours on his phone. He just whipped out his phone one day when he'd done the main edit, you know, draft of it. Uh, changed the colours. It was unbelievable. You know, dead quick. Done very well. He does all the footballers and, and the like. And he works for New Yorker magazine because when I was in New York last year in the hotel, he had a load of uh, New Yorker covers, you know, of which um, Stanley uh, was involved with. <clears throat> when I was at school at Alty Grammar with Ian and John, he would have been a toddler in the chippy next to Altrincham Market there. You know, his family had that place. Uh, so he would have been, you know, in the back uh, playing when we were 14, whatever, 15. <laughs> As I say, Man United fan, he lived round the corner from me in Old Trafford, had a beautiful house opposite uh, Hullard Park. And uh, he's moved now, uh, it's gone up, upscale to Didsbury. I'd love to have an house like that, like Stanley's old one. So, yeah, um, I'm re really pleased that uh, I asked him to do it. You know, I'm really chuffed to have had Stanley do a portrait of me, basically. So, yeah, that's Stanley Chow. My next guest, Jackie... There's a TV presenter, chat show host called Simon D. Have you ever heard of him? I have heard of him, but I don't know why I've heard right. of him. Right. Well, um, my mum once told me that she'd name me Simon after Simon D. So uh, I had a look at it. He started out in the 60s. His real name's Cyril Nicholas Henty Dodd. 
Good Double grief. Name, yeah. You can see why he changed it. <laughs> he was a photographer in, in the army mid-50s and the Suez crisis. He kind of was a bit of a rebel, really. Kept getting fired from places. He was a vacuum cleaner salesman. Um, he was a, a builder's labourer for a while. And he joined Radio Caroline in the late 60s. Oh, I think that's where I've heard of him from. Right. I think he was the first um, DJ, if you like to say anything on the, when they when they went live, you know, for the first time. He got in trouble with them because he wouldn't play certain records that his producer had told him to play. And they seemed to uh, go on throughout his life, you know, always falling out with the bosses. And he also disobeyed the captain on the uh, radio shit, <laughs> Carol, <laughs> which you can't really do. Well, you can't because you could end up overboard. You could. You could end up in trouble there. <laughs> Um, he went to Radio Luxembourg for a while. 1966, he presented Top of the Pops. I don't remember seeing him because I was only three then. But I just thought, oh, I'll have a look at his show. And what impressed me most about his show, he left the studio, gets into a white E-type Jaguar, <laughs> the beautiful model, and drives off down the West, West End. You know, uh, always sort of stuck with me. So that's Simon D. <laughs> The next S is the spider crab, a giant Japanese spider crab that used to hang in the window of Manchester University on Oxford Road. Uh, Did it? You not, don't remember it, Jackie? No, I don't oh, remember Oh, it's it. amazing. It was in a frame, probably from claw to claw, about seven foot, with a tiny little body in the middle, uh, alien-like creature. It always fascinated me as I walked down past the museum because I used to go to that museum um, when I was at school and it was even a chaperone when I, I took my daughter's class from St George's in Altrincham. Oh, I've done that. It's good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was great, yeah. It's good yeah. fun. It's a good museum, that. The spider crab, unfortunately, is in storage because they're building a South Asian uh, gallery. Uh, so half the building shut down. I know all this because Lulu works there, you see. Yes. <laughs> Insider she... knowledge. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. It wouldn't be something I'd look at, though, a big spider crab. Yeah, but what if you were walking along the road? No, I'd have to look the other way because no, I, couldn't, I couldn't have that image in my head. Oh, well. I've I... never looked a cockroach. You know when you watch I'm a Celebrity? Yeah. I don't watch that bit. Uh, me neither. Because I I, <laughs> but I don't want to see a cockroach because I'll never, ever forget the image. Why, where have you had dealings with cockroaches? I used to work for environmental health. My boyfriend at the time said, will you stop telling me about all these restaurants? Because he'd say, should we go and eat in such a place? And I'd start shaking my head, no, no, we can't eat there. And he'd say, right, will you stop looking up restaurants? We'll never be able to eat out again. Well, it's nothing like a cockroach, this giant spider crab. <laughs> no, I know, but it's still an image I don't want in my mind. Right. Because it'll give me nightmares. Okay. To see something that's seven foot. Are you joking? Well, not the body, but from, from the one tip of its leg or claw to the other side, you know, a diametrically opposed uh, side. Yeah, it's still huge. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I don't want to be thinking about that just as I'm nodding off to sleep. I know, you know what I'm like with seafood, Jackie? I keep banging on about yeah, it. Yeah, you're just week. thinking about how delicious it tastes <laughs> with some lemon and garlic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the museum, great place to visit. Uh, for the kids as well, there's a huge Tyrannosaurus Rex 
skeleton. I think it was made in the Victorian era, that one. It must be about, I don't know, for 40 foot, 50 foot. It's in the main thing. People get married in there, under the dinosaur. Got, you know, a nice collection of cabinets with butterflies and God knows what, you know. In oh, it's the, a good day out. A vivarium. I had a guided tour in there because of my connections. <laughs> What's a vivarium? Well, it's where they keep the frogs and the oh. lizards and things like that. It's spiders. Not, it's not for me. No. Spiders? Yes, yes. <laughs> Are they live spiders or dead spiders? Alive, of course. Um, it's quite a job to keep them at the right temperature, as you can imagine. You know, tropical amphibians like that. You know, they have to be very, very careful. You know, when there's nobody there, at the, well, they do have to have somebody there to monitor it in case it all goes, you know, too hot. They'll uh, fry. <laughs> so the giant Japanese spider crab. Yeah. Where do they live normally? At the bottom of the ocean, probably the Pacific, uh, near Japan, I would have thought. Would they ever suddenly appear on a beach? I've never seen a picture of one. They're always at the bottom of the ocean, you know, watching the Jack Cousteau shows that I mentioned. I remember seeing them and, you know, thinking, wow, they're like alien creatures. And, of course, sticking with the crab theme, I do like Deadliest Catch, which is a, a Discovery Channel documentary about the crab fishing business in uh, the Bering Sea. Uh, it looks like a tough job, that, you know, but I'd fancy it, you know. Give it a go. See how I get on. It's probably a young man's game. Well, I know it's a young man's game. Let's Come on. the captain, you know. You've been doing all <laughs> so, your steps. You'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, but it's constant. I don't think they get much sleep. Uh, but they make a fortune according to, you know, the figures that they come out with. You know, for doing a month's work, uh, you wouldn't have to work for the rest of the year. Right, well, there you go. One month, 11 well, I, months off. I might go over there sometime and hang about the dock and see, <laughs> see what I can pick up. Could get arrested for that, Simon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Simon, what's your next S? Sad, sweet dreamer. Now, do you know that one, It's Jackie? just one of those things you put down to experience. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Brilliant. I did, well, sweet sensation. Great band. Uh, I, I remember when I was a kid, they must have been on top of the pops because they got to number one in 1974 with that song. Um, they were an eight-piece band. They all sang and played, based in Manchester, Marcel King being 16 years of age. Wow. The band won New Faces, which was a talent show, hosted by Leslie Crowther and, and Marty, Marty Kane. Kane. I remember Marty yeah. Kane was one of the presenters. I used to watch that one, that, that show, you know, on TV. Yeah. Only three channels back then, of course, and that was it. No Xboxes or computers. So Imagine <laughs> trying to tell kids these days that there were only three channels and, and then they actually went off at night as well. They switched off. Yeah. What time was it? 11 o'clock? What's about that? Or midnight, the latest. I remember my kids, I said to them once when they were at school, they were asking me about doing some homework. And I said, because they had the internet, obviously. Uh-huh. And they said, but how did you used to do it? I said, we didn't have the... I said, well, I had to go to the library and get a book. Well, they laughed for about 10 minutes. <laughs> they could not believe oh. that I would have to go all the way to a library and then get a library book out and read it. I don't know. These kids these, these days. These kids today. Like in our day, was it, Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Sweet Sensation, they were kind of the forerunners to bands like The Real Thing and Imagination. 
like an American sound, big production. Just fantastic. I love all that, you know, funky as well with it. And later on, um, they had a couple of records after that, one in 1975 called Purely By Coincidence. That got to a number 11 in the charts, the official charts. These songs were produced by Tony Hatch. It was a big mover and shaker, you know, the production world, TV and what have you. He was, he did a lot of TV themes, didn't he? And Mickey Most, uh, he was around. But Tony Hatch worked on it, with, and the guy who wrote the, the hit, the number one, David Parton. And later on, in the mid-80s, basically Marcel King got back together with none other than my friend the Don, Donald Johnson, drummer from a certain ratio. Keeps popping up, doesn't he, in this? And Bernard Summer from New Order. They did a song uh, together called Reach for Love. Uh, the band later joined by Barry Johnson on bass, who later joined Quando Quango, of course, who had a little stab at... Oh, wow. <laughs> ..back at Spirit Studios. It's a very small world. It is. And then Barry on bass, he, uh, eventually he joined up with Aswad, a great reggae band, really love them. So an interesting, very short career, burned very brightly, and uh, he's no longer with us, Marcel King, and he lived in Didsbury for a while. And I'm sure when I used to rehearse with the Smiths stroke freak party in Ancoats, they were there rehearsing. There was a Datsun 280ZX outside. I'm thinking, wow, how flash is that, this sports car I think it might have been theirs, you know, the people that were in the band with him at the time. Yeah, a brilliant hit there by Sweet Sensation, Sad Sweet Dreamer. Great song. <laughs> My next ass, Jackie, is a company, that a friend of mine, a friend of Mark E. Smith, actually, J.R. John from Presswich. He set up, it's called Sizzler. And he used to, the sign of it was like a Rizzler packet, but the R was an S. <laughs> you know, the um, logo, if you like. It's great, John. He used to follow us. Um, well, he worked for us when we were on tour with the fall, doing the merchandise. Great character, very charming. Basically, when we were abroad, we'd go around a city we'd never been to, and we'd all say, well, what are we going to eat, you know? And he'd go in the kitchens and just walk right in there as if he owned it. So I want to look in your kitchens, mate, before, I have, before, before we eat here, see what's cooking, <laughs> in case it was rubbish. It had to be all fresh and everything. You know, he did have some front. But it was great to have around. He looked after Mark. Uh, Mark had known him a long time, and he lived near Mark's house, uh, near Presswich Village there. One time we went to uh, on the ferry over to the continent all the way down to Milan, and John, he loved going on these ferries, you know, from Dover. And he'd uh, put his white Aaron jumper on. He liked to stand at the front, you know, <laughs> like uh, like a figurehead on the on the boat. Mark used to call him Captain John. But he loved this. And he bought some bangers or crackers in um, Belgium, I think it was. And he used to letting him off, you know scaring people, you know, the band crew in the venues, you know, like you do for a laugh. And the coach driver of this big coach, and it was um, a sleeper coach, and it had Midnight Express <laughs> written down the side, that was the name of the company, and it was the boss's son. 
I was driving us down there, big lad, curly hair, and not not very old. And and on the way back, he said, "Right, Jr., you better get rid of them uh, crackers you bought there. You're not coming back to England with them. I'm not getting stopped." John just said, "Do one, you." <laughs> and the fight started in the aisle of the bus. John got the better of him. I've got to say. <laughs> You know, John took, took the crackers back. <laughs> I don't know if they threw them over the side. <laughs> I think they call crackers anyway. You know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, firecracker type thing. Yeah, kids in America put them down the toilet, don't they? <laughs> what kids in America put them down the toilets? <laughs> well, they do on The Simpsons and things like that, don't they? They'll try and crack the bowl. <laughs> they put a load in. He was great. He, did, he really was. And he, he, we had, he had a club in uh, Deansgate opposite Kendall's, not far from George Bass Club. You know, it's party central, it, it was really good. And he knew a lot of people, a very popular guy, JR. And, and what was the company Sizzler? What was what did the company do? Well, they put on, uh, you know, raves and parties. You know, so, in the late 80s, early 90s. He did it a lot, John. He did this and that and had a few cars and things. A uh, bit of a wheel of tealer. But it was dead funny. I love John. I hope he's all right. Not seeing him for ages. No, I tell you when I saw him at Mark's funeral. He came along. It was good to see him there, you know, as well. So that's JR. God bless you, John. My next S is a TV series that I used to watch in the 70s called Six Million Dollar Man, starring Lee Majors. Do you remember it, Jackie? I do. I loved it. I loved his boss. What was his boss called? His boss was called Oscar Goldman. Oh, Oscar, yeah. Yeah, it was like the CIA. He sort of, it was equivalent, I think it was called um, the Office of Strategic Intelligence, OCI. And basically, um, Lee Majors, it was Colonel Steve Austin. The tagline of the TV show, we can rebuild him, we have the technology. He had some bionic implants put into his legs. He so he could run really fast, couldn't he? Yeah, he could but also couldn't... jump up as well. You know, How about, could he? Um, about 50 foot at least, you know. <laughs> and they used to do that, ging, 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 you know, yes. that sound when he used to that's right. leap in the air. Great music, uh, effects, the music. Was just That's what I loved about it. I but think. couldn't he hear as well? Well, he had a, he had a special eye made for him because he lost an eye in the accident. Uh, with a 20-to-1 zoom lens with in, right. infrared capabilities. And when he spotted something, say, five miles away, it goes... I used to think it was great. So did I. You know, wish I could have had uh, something like that <laughs> myself. But, uh, yeah, they must have been made out of titanium, these legs that he had, and an arm, because he's, he's lost his arm as well. The show would... oh, so did he have a super strength in one arm? Oh, absolutely. So he could pick somebody up? Yes, and, and his legs, because I say he could jump like a grasshopper. So and... he was an astronaut, but so did he... What was he doing? Solving crimes? I can't yeah, remember what a, he was doing. Yeah, it was a bit of a sort of international spy. Basically, they put all the resources into um, Colonel Steve Austin. Uh, it was on the ABC network and ran from 74 to 78... In fact, his running speed, they reckon, was 60 mile an hour. <laughs> now, what 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 kind of speeds do they run? Are you saying, Bolt, how fast can he go in 100 yards? Do you know? I don't know. No, it's not 60 mile an hour, <laughs> is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's very fast. I've seen it. 
I love the colours in it, the designs, the set designs. But generally, all them TV detective shows from the 70s, I loved them all. Yeah. Well, most of them. Starsky and Hutch, Ironside, I liked Ironside, Streets of San Francisco. What else was that? Kojak. Kojak, of course. That was set in New York, of course, whereas the others tended to be in California, didn't they, as a rule? What about Petrocelli? Did you like him? No, I couldn't get into... Oh, I couldn't get into um, the coroner guy. What was he called? Uh, MD. Quincy. Quincy. I never really got into that. Come on. Quincy was great. It was, you know, probably enjoy it now, you know. Well, they didn't have DNA then, did they? So it can't have been easy for him. But, of course, Columbo was the king of them all. Columbo wins every time, every doesn't time. he? I was watching it the other day, the one with Patrick McGoo and his mate, the funeral director. They were mates, actually, in real life, them two. And he starred in a couple of uh, Columbo episodes. Just brilliant. It kind of was never the same, though, when he got rid of his uh, first raincoat and the first French car, or was it Italian, that beating up old car he had. After that, kind of, you know, the early ones were the better ones. But you the could, music in that, you know... You ma- can watch them over and over again. It doesn't matter, does it, how many times matter. you've seen it? It doesn't matter. I saw that on Twitter, James Kahn shared a picture and it was just him and he just said, this is me with I my... I saw friend, it myself. With my friend Pete. Yeah, we're talking about James Kahn, weren't we? Yeah, R- Lulu's read a book on Peter Falk. I think it's his authorised uh, biography. Oh, I'd like to read that. Yeah, so would I. He had a fault with his eye, you know, from a young age. But he was saying he used to make a joke out of it all the time, you know. Because sort of laugh at himself, you know, when he was a struggling actor, when he started off. Going back to Lee Majors. Yes. Did you watch The Fall Guy? Not really, if I'm Oh, honest. Simon. No. I think that was a bit later, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, but it was great. And the theme tune to The Fall Guy. Right, was, was it good? It's one of the best theme tunes going. Right. Well, I love the music in most of them things. Ironside, that was a good theme tune. But, uh, yeah, the music in Columbo, Mancini, you know, wrote a lot of all, just the best, really. Just superb. But the Six Million Dollar Man, there were lots of lads in the playground at school that wanted to be the Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, they'd have to be young, though, wouldn't they? I should hope so if they're hanging around the playground. I think I wanted to be uh, Hutch out Starsky and Hutch. Oh, did you? More, yeah. yeah. David Soul? Yeah, I know. No. I... <laughs> Paul Michael Glaser was the best one. Uh, he was a bit giddy, wasn't he? Who? Starsky. Starsky wasn't giddy in any way. He did. He got, over, got a bit overexcited. No, Hutch he was didn't. a bit more grounded, wasn't he? No. A bit more logical, wasn't Hutch he? was boring. You say that, but he did all right, didn't he, with the ladies? <laughs> and now we're getting down to it. <laughs> but the music, of, I've said before, Starsky and Hutch, just brilliant, the theme tune. And Huggy Bear, cars were great in them. Of course, we had the professionals over here, didn't we? Which was the equivalent. And the music's kind of very, very similar, actually. The music, the cars. Yeah, yeah. They've uh, got all the elements there. Yeah, but an English version. They, they seem to be showing that forever and ever. The professionals, that is, you know, in uh, the afternoons. <laughs> I think my brother had a $6 million man. Oh. Toy? Yeah. Yeah, I never had one. I don't think I ever had an action man either. 
I might have had some divers out of the James Bond film, Thunderball, the ones who go diving after that atomic bomb that's uh, come out of the bottom of the Vulcan. I don't remember having an action man at all. No. My brother had, I'm sure he had something to do with the $6 million man, but he also had um, a Lone Ranger and Tonto and their horses. You see, I wasn't really into westerns. Oh, really? No. Well, I love a good western. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The good, the bad and the ugly and all that. That was all right. They're all it? great. Yeah. Again, the music made it Exactly. Ennio Morricone, isn't it? Yeah. So I think um, he wanted to work with Morrissey. Ennio did? Yeah. Where other people had asked him, including you too and David Bowie. That's what I read somewhere. But uh, he'd refused to work with them, but wanted to work with Morrissey. Which is interesting, isn't it? So, yeah, uh, the, all those TV detectives. There was another one as well, lived in a caravan on a beach. He had a leather jacket. Do you remember him? <laughs> had a Trans Am sports car <laughs> or a Pontiac. Is this a dream you've had, Simon? No, I, I didn't mind that one, but I can't remember the name of it. Was it American? Yeah, oh, yeah. It was a, on a beach in California. And he sort of, you know, just lived there. That, he was a single man. Crime Fighter. It's pretty good, actually. I like that one. Quincy, no. No thanks. My next S is an album by The Fall called Shift Work that I drummed on in 1991. We had three producers on this one. Craig Leon, the American, who was Blondie's ex-producer, and Grant Showbiz who worked with the Smiths, did the live sound for the Smiths, great grant. And a guy called Robert Gordon, who worked out of a studio in Sheffield called FON Studios. Very high-tech it was. And the whole band, we were only a four-piece then. Bricks and Mark had split up the previous year. It was me, Steve, Craig and Mark, mostly. Martin and Marcia Schofield... They were dispensed with by Mark just before the making of it, although they did contribute to a song called Rose, which is a very pleasant song, Rose, not very well known by the fall. There's some good uh, good tracks on it, Pittsville Direct. I really like that. We recorded that in a studio down by the Crescent in Salford. It's been bulldozed now. It's a block of flats, another one gone forever. We felt one of my favourite ones was called The Mixer, uh, which is kind of quite dancey, and uh, I did the uh, keyboard on that one. Great little video out for the mixer as well. Best track that I, well I co-wrote was So What About It, which is kind of a, a dancey one that we did in Sheffield with Robert again. And uh, one day I was watching World of Sport on a Saturday morning and Blow Me Down, the music, the remix of So What About It came on. <laughs> This was a show Dickie Davis, I think, he uh, hosted. Remember Dickie? I do. Yeah, good presenter, wasn't he? Yeah. With a moustache and all that. Lots of checked jackets he had. <laughs> you know, very they bad. played um, Hit the North on... I saw, I believe, on Match of the Day the other day. Yeah. Yeah, it's been played a few times, that. Um, that home-buying house, um, home-buying show. I forgot what it's called. It's on all the time, every day. But they were obviously buying a house, you know. In the Homes level. Under the Hammer. That's it. I think they played it. I've heard it on a few things, Hit the North. Great song. As I say, if somebody said to me, I've never heard of The Fall, name me a tune and I'll go and listen to it and tell you if you like them. I'd say, go on then, have a listen to Hit the North. And I think people like it. 
and he did okay anyway. But so shift work, yeah, it was great. And uh, I think High Tension Line, which is another favourite song of mine, came out on a different mix or CD version or something, which I liked. And Edinburgh Man, of course, which, uh, you know, Mark loved so much, Edinburgh. I loved it so much, he moved up there when he split up with Bricks. And I took him up there, I told you about that. Only briefly, though. I think one of the lyrics is he wants to be back there, you know what I mean? It sort of pines Edinburgh. I must go up sometime again. I think I might do now, you know. Just drive. What are you allowed to do with that now? Oh, who knows what the rules are these days. Right, they change all the time. Just head off in your car. Yeah, I'll be all right, won't I? They don't have a roadblock there yet, do they? In Scotland. (laughs) Won't be long, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, so Shift were one of my favourite albums. And was it well-received? It was. Edinburgh Man's, uh, as I say, used as the theme tune on an MTV indie show on Sunday night. We might be in Portugal or France or in a hotel watching MTV on a a Sunday. And Edinburgh Man had come on, you know, as a theme tune. It was great. Would you all cheer? No, but we all felt pleased as punch about this. And it's a lovely city. It really is. So, yeah, that was a cut-off uh, shift work. And so how does it work with um, recording an album with The Fall? Do you go into the studio with, with stuff prepared or are you doing it in, live in the studio? A bit of both, really. Yeah, we used to work stuff out, me, Steve and Craig. But it worked both ways. Usually the music first and then Mark would put the lyric to it. Or Mark would have a lyric and say, play this. What day for? Like a country and western, uh, rockabilly type feel. It got to number 17 in the charts. I'm quite proud of that one, I really am. And how does it work with the artwork and stuff? Did you get involved in that? Not at all, no. Uh, we had Pascal Legras uh, doing some. Klaus Klastanoid, he did a few sleeves. We did one album where we had to have a photograph of the band, said the um, record company which wasn't a uh, mark, he didn't like that idea at all, but he had to go along with it. I think it was a light user syndrome when Julian Nagel was in the band. It's just got a row, you know, we're in a row, you know, in the shade kind of thing, all of us. Uh, it's not a bad sleeve, but that, that was the only one that we had, you know, a portrait of the band you know, on the front. And what about videos? Did you get involved in the ideas behind the videos? No, not at all. In fact, the video for uh, Mr. Pharmacist, which I played drums on, features Carl Burns in the video. Uh, and he didn't play on it at all. So they must have knocked that up afterwards, you know, after I... Was it that you weren't asked about? Or were you just not interested in, in not, album sleeves and videos? No, Mark had his own idea. You know, he was the boss, after all. and we were We were getting paid wages, you know. Week in, week out, year in, year out. And you weren't bothered? You didn't have any ideas? You didn't think? Not, not really. There were some sleeves I thought, oh, I don't really like that. But it was worse for the T-shirts. I never liked any of the T-shirts they did, apart from the one with the squirrely round pattern that we used to had on the backdrop behind us. Yeah, it was like a target, wasn't it, or that, that sort of thing? Yeah, not like the one Oasis had, though, uh, like a mod target. It was kind of more psychedelic and swirly. Like a swirl, Ooh. yes. <laughs> but that was a good T-shirt. But that, uh, the ones after that, they were all yellow or horrible shades of blue and 
the writing down the arms. I never liked that. Did you? No sweatshirt. Yeah, the Inspirals did that, and, and James did it, didn't they, where they wrote down the arm? Oh, I don't like it. wasn't for you. <laughs> so what could you say if you didn't like the stuff that was coming out, though? Well, you just you didn't say anything, as long as you're getting your wages. I say, I'll have a couple of them in extra large. <laughs> That's all you had to say. Keep you warm, you know. T-shirts. There was a, one T-shirt we had by this trucking company called Euro Trucks, they were called. They used to take our gear to Europe for a bit. And they had a nice T-shirt. I wish I still had that one. Uh, you know, it's one of them with their name on it and working with the fall, you know, in association. It's really good T-shirt. That was the best one. But uh, I don't know where that is. Probably used it for a mop. <laughs> It'll be flat in uh, Levenshume. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the better albums, shift work, I think. I mentioned Ben Sinister and Extricated. Code Selfish, not too bad. But uh, Shift Work, I, I liked it. It was quite an up album, a bit more poppy than normal, which you wouldn't expect because Bricks wasn't there, was she? But it was. So, yeah, good album, Shift Work. OK, what's your next S? My next S is Serendipity. And I think I've had a big dose of it, personally, myself, just Throughout my life, you know, I've been in situations where I've met someone else and joined this band or that band, carried on to this day like that. I think there's a lot to be said for it. So do you think that there's a plan in place? No, I don't really. Oh, you don't? No, I think you make your own luck and you have to get out there. Sometimes, if you put yourself out enough, you'll meet people who lead you to somewhere else. Sound like I'm going to join a cult. I know, exactly. <laughs> don't want to do that, do I? <laughs> oh, so you, so you don't think there's a plan in place for you? You think you're in control of where you go and what you do? Yes, I do, yeah. Um, for, for every action, a reason. Uh, Ian Brown sang, didn't he, in fear, which is the opposing view, I, I suppose. But no, I think you, you, you're in control of your life. You really do. See, I think that your life's already do you? predestined. Yeah, I why, really why do. Why do you say that? I don't know. I just, I think it gives me a little bit of comfort thinking that, that actually it, things are set. Right. There are certain things in your life. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? Will ha- well, I don't, you see, I don't think like that. Well. I just think to myself, it's fine because I'm, I'm going somewhere. I don't know where it is. Yes. And it'll all be okay. Yeah. And I'm quite happy. But I think when you get to those places, you, you, you've got some free will to get to various bits in it, but you're going to end up in the same place, whatever happens. Anyway. Yeah. Right, interesting. But I just potter along, me. I think I have a fair portion of serendipity. I really do. But what does serendipity mean? Well, luck. Is uh, it? Is it yeah, just luck? Just okay. chance meetings. You were there one day and you met this person and they said, oh. So if you turned a different corner, you never would have met. Who said that? I don't know. Go on, tell me I'm intrigued. George Michael. Did he really? Great singer, George. Great song, A when Different Corner. Yeah. Well, most mums love him, don't they? But it's very true, isn't it? You can take a different path in life. Like, you took a, a particular path, didn't you? And you ended up... Going sideways. <laughs> but that's all right. At least I'm not going backwards. Correct. And that's definitely that's the, the main way... Thing. That's the way to look at it. So, yeah, I'm quite happy. No, but you have. Going. You've met various people in your life, haven't you, that have taken you off in different directions? I have. Yeah, yeah. 
I was reading about Michael Clark today in the paper. Uh, there was just a piece on him, you know, the ballet dancer. I know we discussed this before, haven't we, in the letter K. But uh, I don't hang about with him anymore. <laughs> no, but is it funny how your lives came together at one point because he was in Hey Luciani as well. So, yes. so for a few years, his and your life... Ran in tandem a little bit, didn't they? Yeah. For a few months. Yeah, then he went and did his thing. wonder what he's doing now. Old Michael. And he was lovely, wasn't he? Yeah. What a lovely man he is. Somebody was saying he was a great cricketer today on the internet. Really? Yeah, batsman, sure, that's what they were saying. But sort of fair play to him, I don't really like cricket. Do you? Yeah, I do. Do you? Mm. I used to watch the test matches in the 70s on BBC Two. I was at uh, Trent Bridge when both of them got his century. I was on News at 10. It's the, oh, only, really? it's the only game I've ever attended. And they did a close-up of me and my friend Mandy at the... What, celebrating his century? Yeah. For England? He must have got a few centuries, surely. Well, I don't know, but it was the one particular one that he got. Right, they made a special a big, one. That they made a big deal about. Yeah, oh, wow. Well. I mean, I don't like both of them. Why not? He's not for me. Let's get back to serendipity. Yes. How does it work? Well, you just have to uh, keep hoping and hoping and hope... hope. Things will happen to you as you go along. So I'd like to go and live in Skeathos as it happens. Maybe work at, you know, in a little restaurant or something. Yeah, but do you think that's because you've just been there? No, and... I've got my City and Girls Part 1, I've told you. <laughs> From Greater Manchester Council. Do you think trying. that's what they're looking for over there? Well, there's a lot of expats there. Personally, I like to go to the local places. You won't catch me, you know, in a, you know Irish pub, for instance. So maybe take up a little trade like that. Or maybe even get into uh, owning a boat and taking people around. Yeah, you're desperate to get on a boat, aren't you? Yeah, well, I loved it so much. I really did. Well, let me tell you what serendipity means. Go on, then. So it's events that happen by chance in a happy or beneficial way. Right, OK. Well, it must be working because I'm very happy right now. You're happier than I've ever been, I think. But you've always seemed very happy and upbeat. I've always laughed a lot, but I've, I've had my ups and downs and my disappointments and this, that and the other. But right now, um, I'm, I'm happy with my music, uh, where I live, everything really, really am. I'm not too happy about this virus, but uh, I just have to lump it like everybody else, basically. And have you always been quite positive? No, I've always been a bit of a worrier. You know, I used to have ulcers, when stomach ulcers when I was 17, 18. I had to take, you know, drink milk and stuff. And I've told you this before, I think, about the drug company Zantac. They held the um, the pills necessary to alleviate the pain for years and years and years. So the stock price would go up. Uh, Zantac, thanks a lot for that. I had a lot of sleepless nights on tour. But I didn't make it easy on myself, drinking champagne and that every night, and partying, smoking. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I've only got myself to blame, Jackie. And But are you a less of a worrier these days? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I don't worry about much now at all, really. No, I don't. I don't worry about United, whether they're going to turn the corner and beat City this year. I hope they do. If they do, they do. You, uh, City didn't do very well, by the way, did they? Trust now. But did you used to worry more about United and did it uh, used to affect you more? 
No. Oh, not. no. So it's never been a big deal in no, your life? Not, no, not sport. Just no, you see, it's the same with me. Even, I mean, I know City were terrible years ago. And if we could get to 40 points, it was like a miracle. It never affected me. I could never understand why people let f- something like football affect them the way that it does. No. I, I mean, if that's all you've got, I suppose, as an outlet. If you've been working all week and you go on a Saturday morning, that's your time. And your, your team's losing every week. I can under- understand that. But no, it's not. It's never bothered me, really. Obviously, what I see him on top, when they lose again, you think, oh, God, you know, what are they doing? But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens this this year, Jackie, with the, with the uh, title race. So, yes, yeah, serendipity, I've, I've had my fair share and I'm happy with my share that I've had so far. OK, we need a soundtrack for the letter S. What have you got? My first choice, Sad Sweet Dreamer by Sweet Sensation. Second one, Do It Again by Steely Dan. My Tai, Our Love Is History. Next one is Sheila Ray, The Bells of St. Mark's. The last one, Buffalo Stance, Nana Cherry. Great, okay, we'll see you next time. I'll see you next time, Jackie. This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. Thanks for listening to Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.